Thanks to Zapier for supporting Industry Focus. Zapier is the easiest way to automate your work. It connects all your business software and handles work for you so you can focus on the things that matter most. Try Zapier free by going to our special link, zapier.com slash full. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, October 17th, and we're discussing Enphase and SolarEdge, manufacturers of components that are critical to growing the solar energy industry. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool contributor Jason Hall via Skype. How's it going, Jason? It's uh, it's good. I'm, I'm in, I think I mentioned before the show, I'm in uh, real estate purgatory right now. We're in the process of buying a bigger house, and we're in that in-between phase where we are trying to close on selling our property and trying to close on buying. And there's a bunch of stuff we can't do. So I'm trying to just act like nothing's happening and I'm failing miserably at it. I'm really distracted. So I'm very happy to be on this show and let you distract me for the next half an hour. I hear you, Jason. I'm sure it's tough. One of those biggest purchases you'll make in a lifetime and kind of hanging in hanging in, in the gap between that uh, kind of finalizing. Another thing that's probably been affecting you out there in California has been these blackouts running through. How has that, how has that uh, affected you? Who, buddy? Um, so, number one, I totally understand the, the the idea of doing these blackouts. I mean, you have to remember a year ago this time I was in uh, Ireland for uh, – my wife was uh, on a work trip there. So, we lived there for two months. And I was watching on my ring as my neighbor at 4 o'clock in the morning sprayed water on the roof of my house because embers were blowing f- from the wildfires a mile away into our neighborhood. Um, so I get the idea of turning off uh, the grid to prevent wildfire, and it's a major problem out here. Um, but these rolling blackouts, like it actually kind of hit home uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, the local utilities, um, um, Southern California Edison, uh, turned off power in a large section of the area I live in unannounced um, because of some some risks. And it was right when we were trying to finalize – uh, the contract on the property that we're buying, and we were pushing a deadline, um, and and I mean it had a material impact on our ability to 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 get this to get a contract done. So, um, it's it's a mess. It really really is. So I think what we're going to talk about today is actually really uh, really relevant to that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, our, our grid nationwide, not just in California. You know, it, it's been around for a long period of time, and because of the movements towards uh, cleaner energy and just kind of bringing our infrastructure up to date. There have been a lot of investments in renewable, and what we're going to talk about today specifically uh, is solar. Uh, solar manufacturing costs have really fallen significantly over the past several years that have made them uh, particularly competitive uh, with traditional energy sources. And uh, the, the area we're going to talk about today with solar, with Enphase and Solar Edge, are power inverters. So these are kind of key components that we need uh, for solar panels. And for folks who aren't familiar with these products, Jason, can you get, kind of give our listeners a high-level overview of what power inverters do and the role they play in a solar system as a larger component? Yeah, the the short the short version is that the 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 grid the power grid operates on AC alternating current. Uh, it, it, that's the best way to transmit electricity over long distances with reduced losses. Um, the solar panels generate DC power, so to make the power from solar panels usable in your house and to connect them to the grid, you have to have uh, an inverter to take that that energy and convert it uh, into the usable kind of current that the system works. So uh, it's not, it's, not, it's, 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 it's as important as the panel, because if you don't have it, you, the, the, you can't really do anything with the electricity. Yeah. And there's been a trend in more recent years to kind of change how we use inverters moving more toward a, what we, in the past we'd used 
string inverters, so you'd have a large number of panels and then one inverter that would uh, take that entire stream of energy. We've been moving more recently into these module-level uh, power electronics where there's more an inverter or a product at each uh, at each. Uh, solar panel, and that's where Solar Edge and Enphase really do their work. They have 95% global share in this space. Over 80% of installations last year in California involved module-level power electronics, and I think that's part of what's driven the great performance of these stocks uh, over the past year. Jason, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So one thing you'll hear the you'll hear the term module, and you'll hear the term pan, uh, term panel. Uh, they're the same thing. Module and panel is the same thing. Um, and the short version is is that uh, in, in the U.S., and I think you're starting to see it around the world too, uh, for safety reasons, uh, having the ability to cut off power directly at the panel is becoming a bigger and bigger concern. Um, so here's the thing: if you have a string, if you have a string inverter, uh, and you got, let's say, you got a dozen solar panels on your roof, and then you've got a string inverter uh, it's in your garage, um, taking that DC and converting it to AC. If the grid turns off, that the inverter will disconnect your your panels from the grid, but the panels are still sending current through the line uh, that connects them to the uh, to the inverter. So it's still there's still fire risk. Um, it's dangerous for first responders. Let's say your house uh, catches on fire. Um, it creates a risk for. Uh, for first responders that might be dealing with that emergency on your property. So by, in, uh, by um, having the, the, the uh, microinverter, which is what uh, Enphase is kind of a leader with uh, on the panel, or in, in uh, SolarEdge's case, uh, something they call a power optimizer uh, on the panel. So if the, if the grid turns off, uh, the, then the panel itself, the power never leaves that component that's actually attached to the panel. So it's not traveling through wires to get to get to anywhere else, so it's a big safety uh, safety gain. Uh, and in the case of Enphase with the micro inverters, uh, there's also some benefit in terms of uh, a better reliability because um, if if you have a single panel go down, um, you still get the output from the from the rest of the. Excuse me, if a single inverter goes down, you still have the output coming from the rest of the system. So you don't have that single point of failure like you do with uh, the string inverter. Uh, system where if the inverter goes down, you lose all the output from uh, from all of your panels. Yeah, and the, those those safety issues have kind of been brought to light, I guess, in recent months. You had the Walmart Tesla lawsuit, which traced back to some issues when it came to uh, installation of inverters and, and things like that. Uh, so yeah, Jason, when you look at both these companies, you know their their performance year to date. Solar Edge up 140 percent, Enphase up over 420 percent is what's really been driving that been been this push towards module level power electronics that's kind of set these stocks you know rocketing up so I think I think there's a couple factors uh, num- number one uh, they, they both focus mainly on residential and commercial solar distributed solar uh, and it's been a great year uh, for for distributed solar especially in in the US which is uh, big markets for for both of these companies. So there's a little bit of the the kind of the rising tide uh, lifts all boats going on. Uh, if you look at the Invesco Solar ETF, it attracts about two dozen companies that have uh, either either complete solar exposure or very very um, heavy solar exposure. It's up 58% year to date. Um, now a lot of that is, uh, frankly, a lot of that is in phase. Um, but if you look across the industry, you look at the solar panel manufacturers, you know, some of the bigger names are up, you know, 25, 30, 40%. You look at the solar installers, 
uh, like Vivint Solar and Sunrun, you know, they're they're having you know fantastic years uh, for investors too, and those are the companies that are d- directly relational to uh, Enphase and SolarEdge because they're the ones going out doing these distributed solar residential and uh, commercial installations. So, you know, it's a little it's a little bit of just the market, but also, yeah, these two companies. I mean, they've really consolidated um, the the U.S. market, especially. Um, I mean, they command. It's I think it's fair to call them a duopoly at this point. There, there isn't any other major competitor um, that is anywhere close to the kind of market share that they have in, uh, especially residential solar um, in the U.S. Um, so it's it's a little bit of both. But there's other things going on too. You know, the, the both companies are are starting to to take steps to go into like uh, energy storage. So they're starting to diversify a little bit now, add a little bit of optionality to how they can can kind of uh, find find ways to grow. Um, so there's there's multiple things that are going on. Yeah, and then last question before we on the back half of the show dive into more, uh, each of these companies more specifically. Uh, you, you talked about the duopoly that's taken place in the market. There have been a little bit of rumblings from short sellers saying that may not be be durable. Most most uh, notably, Citron Research back in September. You know, for our listeners who might not be familiar with, with that kind of thesis, what are kind of your what's the kind of main thrust of what those folks are saying, and what credence do you give to it? Yes or no? So, uh, Citron released a report um, in mid-September. The day the report came out, I think the stocks, they dropped you know, around 10% each. Um, since then, since the 12th of September, uh, they're, they're up uh, like 9% for Enphase and SolarEdge is up about 17%. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't think the market's really buying what Citron uh, was was saying, uh, and I think part of that is because of the nature of the these uh, so-called reports that Citroen releases, they're really heavy on imagery. Uh, that, in in my opinion, I think it's really kind of focuses on trying to elicit a, an emotional reaction and really scare longs into selling a stock, not so much really just to pitch a short thesis. So I think that that that. Kind of that approach, it's not really working so well uh, this time around. But with that said, I mean, I think there there's some validity to some of the things that Citroen highlighted. Um, you know, as we just said, the you know, U.S. has largely become a duopoly for these two companies uh, for inverters. I think they control almost ninety percent of the U.S. market. Um, but it's not just you know, it's a big part of that though is that they have really strong dealer. Relationships. Uh, Enphase also has some really strong relationships with some of the the panel makers uh, that are putting their their um, their, uh, their their micro inverters. They're coming out of the factory with these micro inverters on them, right? So nobody even. It's not like somebody else can can is going to knock that off uh, at the at the dealer level. So uh, at the installer level. So I mean, it's more than just the changing of the of the regulations that's given them an advantage. Um, but with that said, you know this is too big of a market. There's too much opportunity for profit. There's too much opportunity for growth uh, for these two to remain, you know, so dominant in the U.S. Right? Um, and, and I think the the, the company that um, Citroen highlighted um, is called Generac. Um, I don't know if most people are. If you're not familiar with them, uh, they're really big in like the generators business, uh, home generators, uh, industrial size generators for like hospitals and that kind of thing. Uh, and and the interesting thing about it is, you know, that uh, Citroen highlighted uh, Generac as a potential disruptor 
for uh, for Enphase and Solar Edge, but also they would be disrupting other companies, so like uh, Tesla with their batteries, uh, some of the other companies that are doing uh, energy storage. The reality is that Generac is in a reactionary mode right now because it is being disrupted by energy storage. The reality is that energy storage costs are coming down so much that you can pair uh, solar with energy storage and you don't need necessarily, especially in a residential environment, you don't need a Generac generator. So, so Generac is really, they kind of have to go after this market because they're going to be losing a lot of market share to, to renewables and energy storage just because the technology is, people are going to be using it for their energy needs anyway. It's, it's just, it's really, they, ha they, ha they don't have any choice but to go after it. And I think there's a good chance they're going to be successful. But I don't think it's, it's necessarily going to take, you know, an $84 per share in phase and make it a $7 a share company or cut $52 solar edge in half uh, to, you know, a $24 stock. So um, especially when you consider that if you, if you look at the, the market itself, um, even if, if solar edge and in phase do start seeding some market share uh, in the U S which I think they will, I think it's, it's reasonable to expect they will. That doesn't mean they're not going to continue growing because the, the market is going to continue to get, to get bigger. Uh, and then you look around the world at the market opportunity where um, these, these module level power electronics are just starting to get traction. The market opportunity is, is absolutely enormous. All right. On the back half of the show, we're going to talk a little bit more about how these companies are differentiated in their technology and where they're headed from a financial point of view. Uh, but first, when you're running your own business, your to-do list is never ending. The solution is to automate tasks. And that's where Zapier comes in. Zapier is built to automate your work, and it connects all your business software and handles work for you so you can focus on the things that matter most. Go to zapier.com fool, connect the apps you use, and let Zapier take it from there. As one fool has noted, there are so many apps we use every day, from Slack, Trello, and Google Docs, to Zendesk, Zoom, and Evernote, that it's just so hard to keep track. And Zapier helps zap from one app to another. It lets you star a Slack message and create a Trello card for you. It really makes the process that much easier. Right now, through November, you can try Zapier for free by going to zapier.com slash fool. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash fool for your 14-day free trial. Zapier.com slash fool. Okay, Jason, now I want to talk a little bit about each of these companies individually and kind of what sets them apart. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is Solar Edge, and that ticker is S-E-D-G. It's got a market cap about $4.1 billion dollars and it's the market leader in power inverters in the USA with about a 60% market share. Uh, when you look at Solar Edge's technology, how is it differentiated uh, from maybe what Enphase or other other competitors are doing? Yeah, as as the as the as the initiative for the module level power electronics, you know, kind of started to get going, um, Solar Edge saw saw an opportunity um, to do something that was just a lot more cost effective than doing the microinverters, uh, but also um, just a way to generate more efficient power uh, from each panel uh, from the system. And what they do is they, 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 they lead with uh, power optimizers, which are installed at the panel level. So that's the, that's the module level part of the, 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 the deal. And these, these, uh, these uh, power optimizers, they do that. They balance the electricity that comes, the current that comes from each panel, uh, helping maximize the efficiency of the output. 
um, and then provide that level of safety of being able to cut off the current at the panel if there if there is uh, a need to do that. But then they still use a string inverter where you're where you're connecting uh, to a single inverter for um, a number of panels. You know, if it's a, if it's a residential ins installation, you're going to have a single inverter uh, connected to all of your panels. Uh, if it's a larger uh, commercial install um, and you have a, a ton of panels. You're, you're still going to have multiples, but it's not going to be a one-to-one -one ratio. Um, so, so it's really, it's, it's kind of the balance of, of, of maximizing the output of the, of the install and accomplishing a lower cost profile versus doing the, uh, the microinverters. Right. And so versus, you know, in-phase's microinverter, you might not be quite as efficient, but your cost, uh, your cost is going to come down uh, relative to those. And, and you get benefits relative to the basic string inverter. Obviously, there's a lot of room uh, for Solar Edge to continue growing. I said they had a 60% market share in the USA. However, globally, they only have a 40% global market share. So there's still a lot of room to grow for their main uh, central technology. However, the company, through acquisition, has been trying to diversify into other areas in the solar uh, value chain that are adjacent to, to, to the industries that it's in. Can you talk a little bit about that and what the company's strategy is there? Yeah. So uh, and the other thing, too, is within, within the um, inverter business and power optimizer business. I mean, you got to remember at this point, they're still distributed solar focusing heavily on residential. So they haven't even really tapped utility scale solar, which they're going to you know, be moving into in the next couple of years. Uh, but in terms of diversifying into other areas that are related uh, in, in 2018, and then again, early 2019, they made three uh, key acquisitions. They purchased Gamatronic uh, which is a company that focuses on uninterrupted power supply. So you think about uh, a data center that needs uh, large battery backup, um, you know that kind of thing. That's some, that's what Gamatronics uh, big businesses. So they acquired that in 2018. Uh, they in in late 2018 they purchased Kokum K O K A M. Uh, it's a tier one lithium battery maker based in Korea. Um, in the same area that there's a lot of other tier one battery makers. Um, there's tons of, of, of applications for that. Uh, when you're talking about renewables and solar, uh, you think about you know the energy storage system for residential that might go in a garage, uh, utility scale inner storage, energy storage, where you can uh, start using uh, batteries to start replacing peak or natural gas plants and even some base load applications uh, at the utility scale. Uh, electric vehicles, uh, there's a tie-in with, uh, with the batteries for the, uh, for the Gamatronic business that it bought. Uh, aerospace applications, marine applications, you're starting to see hybrid uh, marine vehicles like tugboats and that sort of thing. So there's, there's this wide variety of, of, of overlap for the for the for the Kokum business that it's acquired, uh, and it also ties into SMRE, uh, which is a business about at the beginning of the year, uh, which makes uh, integrated powertrain and electronic components for electric vehicles. Uh, so you're talking about a hyper growth industry. The global electric vehicle market is is growing very quickly and being uh, a key supplier there. Is, is a great place for, for the company to be. Uh, again, you start talking about tying it back into residential and commercial solar. You start thinking about EV charging. Uh, this is a company that's really good at managing power coming out of solar. To, and it's, it's, so it falls right into its core competencies and there's tons of overlap 
in all of in all of these businesses, even if on the surface it might seem like it doesn't fit, there really is a lot of overlap. Yeah, when you think about charging an electric vehicle, the same concept applies as with solar. You have alternating current coming from the grid. You want to switch that to direct current going into your battery. Uh, so the same concept applies. The same basic technology applies. Yep, absolutely. And and again, it's 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 not even just the technology; it's the distribution relationships. Uh, that it will be able to leverage. You know, it's already uh, uh, Solar Edge is very well connected as a, a distributor to uh, in the solar industry. Um, so that opens doors for its ability to be able to sell energy storage systems uh, with its uh, with its solar installer partners and its other distributor partners. So it can leverage Kokum immediately, right? And then you think about the SMRE, the the EV powertrain and electronics company it bought. Again, so the, the, we can leverage those relationships to to make the most out of Kokum. So there's all this the, all this really good overlap that that I think you know, it's going to take it's going to take several years to 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 play out. I mean, there's there's no getting around it. Uh, inverters and power optimizers are going to drive the lion's share of its results for you know three or four years at least. Um, but these are hyper growth businesses in, and I think that there's a great opportunity to to take advantage of what it's good at across all these things and uh, just continue to grow. Yeah, and you're seeing that in their numbers. Their most recent quarter, uh, revenue was up almost 20% quarter over quarter, over 40% year over year. Record revenue from solar products, record operating income. Uh, their capacity is up 25%, really firing on all cylinders. You know, when you, when you look at their, their recent earnings report, anything that really stands out to you or that investors should be paying attention to uh, from their financials? Yeah, I think that, and this is one of the things that I really like about about this business. It's not just you know a, a high growth business. This is also a business that generates uh, strong cash flows, uh, and, and it has a great balance sheet. So it's not like the company has gone out and and over leveraged itself to make these acquisitions or to try to get ahead of the competition. It's a very well run business. They invest a lot of money in research and development. Um, so I think you're going to see. Uh, you're going to see, you know, things are going to, you know, some of the, some of the numbers are going to move. It's like gross margins, uh, have been pretty strong. You know, those, those can go up and down over time. Um, but I think the thing that I really, really like about the core business now, uh, is they, they just have brought a lot of, uh, capacity online. I think they've added like 25% of their manufacturing capacity and they still have huge backlog, right? So, so, um, so that to me says that we should continue to see that really strong operating income continue, even even if we do start to see competition, you know, ramp up over the next year or two. So, last thing to talk about with the company is they kind of they tragically lost their their founder and, and longtime CEO, a guy Sella, back in August, and he was replaced as CEO just a few days before his passing. Obviously, when you lose uh, a co-founder and someone who had led the company over a long period of time, that that is going to cause. Um, some turbulence at the business. How has the company been able to manage that, and what's management look like going forward? Yeah, it's it's first, it's it's horrible. It's terribly sad. The guy was like fifty five years old, fifty four, fifty five. Um, yeah, I'm I'm I turned forty three in in December, and fifty five feels a lot closer to me now than it uh, than it ever has. So, you know, it's it's so I you know I I that's so that that's the first thing that's tough, and I think for a lot of the people. And the company, especially in management, have been there since the beginning or very close to it. So a lot of people at the company have known this man for a decade and a half. Um, but I, I think it's too with that with that said, I think it's too early to really say how it's going to affect the company. Um, he he wasn't the only founder. Um, 
Uh, I think there are four other founders, co-founders that are still serving in executive roles and in some pretty important roles. The head of R&D, chief software architect, uh, chief information officer um, are, are all co-founders of the company that have been here since it went public in 2000 or since it was founded in 2006. But then if you, if you look beyond that, you start looking at their, the chief, uh, the, the CEO that was just brought in. He's been there since like 2008. Um, so he's, it's not like he's, he's brand new to the company. Um, so I think from a corporate culture perspective, there's a lot of things that, that look good from an innovative perspective. I think there's still a lot of key people that are, that are still involved. And then you look at the board of directors and you see a lot of the same thing, you know, board members that have been there for a decade or more. So I think the company's culture is, is going to remain strong. Um, but it's, it's, you know, you just, you never know what's going to happen with a company, uh, that loses somebody that was so, so identified with that, with that particular, with that particular company. Sure. Yeah. Hopefully the culture is strong. And again, as we've mentioned, there are really significant opportunities for this business going forward as they move into, uh, obviously their core business is experiencing significant growth as well as these adjacent industries. Um, moving on to, to Enphase, a little bit smaller uh, than SolarEdge, uh, ticker's ENPH, by the way, a little bit smaller than SolarEdge, a $2.9 billion market cap. We, we talked a little bit about uh, their microinverters that kind of pioneered uh, the use of that technology. Uh, any any more details, I guess, that they're important to know about uh, Enphase's microinverter technology? Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's just it's it's a you know it's a different it's a different technology. It's a different approach. Um, it does uh, you know generate more 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 energy uh, per installation per panel, um, but it's more expensive, right? So so I, you know I think I think that, that there's there's places for both. Um, I think one of one of the things I like a lot about Enphase is that it it has some pretty strong OEM partnerships, SunPower, I think Panasonic, um, I think there's one or maybe two others um, that that um, it has long-term contracts to supply microinverters that are installed, you know, at the panel. So that's what the that's you know when it goes to a solar installer, that's what they're using. You know, there's there's no option to go to a Generac or to go to a solar edge or another third party uh, inverter because it's it's already included so that's a strong competitive advantage and it also should help help drive growth as companies like Sunpower leverage some of their new manufacturing capacity and start bringing some of their new products online that are going to be in really high demand so I'm 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 you know again I'm optimistic that I think it's 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 business should continue to grow and and uh, hopefully it'll start moving closer and closer to profitability. It's close, but it's not quite profitable. Um, it's it's also kind of like uh, like SunPower. It's or excuse me, like uh, Solar Edge. It's it's moving to to expand beyond just just the uh, power electronics, solar power electronics business. Uh, it's it's launching later this year. Um, I think they're calling it Ensemble. Um, and some energy storage products that are part of that. Um, this is this is one that kind of hits home for me. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize um, just because just because you have solar panels, it doesn't make you immune from grid power outages. Um, these systems again are they're designed that if the if the grid there's no power coming from the grid, then the inverter turns off uh, power coming from the panels to protect grid workers. Um, so, 
if the grid goes down, your solar panels aren't sending power to your house. But one of the things with the, the ensemble system is it's 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 looking to to change that so that you would have the ability to still if the grid if it loses connectivity to the grid, then the then the then the microinverters can still power your home, which is kind of nice. And then you take it to the next step, and you um, you, you combine it with energy storage, and you could be grid connected but still be able to be completely grid remote uh, even when the sun's not shining. So um, it's, it's, I, th I think it's a really smart move again, because it allows them to leverage their existing distribution partnerships, the relationships that they have to, uh, to step into um, energy storage, which in residential, I think could, could grow even faster um, than, than just residential panel sales, because you've got a decade of, of, uh, solar systems out there that people are going to start thinking about adding solar to existing uh, solar installations. Yeah, along those lines you talked about earlier, the, the threat of some of this technology to backup generators, if I if my solar panels can produce energy for me or if I can rely on my my battery storage, uh, you know, it, it reduces the demand for, for those sorts, sorts of products. Yep. Um, moving on to the financial performance, you mentioned they're not profitable. However, uh, they did meet this year their, their 30 2010 uh, financial goal that they had been working toward over time: thirty percent gross margin, twenty percent operating expenses relative to revenue, ten percent operating margin. Uh, when you look at their their financial results, you know so far this year, uh, what stands out to you? What should investors be paying attention to? So I, I think it's kind of a nice incremental move forward. If you go back, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, just about the entire company C-suite uh, changed, and um, a lot of times that's a that's a red yellow flag if if not a red flag with a business when you see that kind of executive change but one of the things that's really interesting with with uh in phase is even though they've had a lot of change in top leadership uh the two co-founders are still there they're still executives and they're really focused on product development they're focused on r d um so i think they've moved into having really good operators business operators that are that are running the show and, and these two really innovative guys are able to focus on developing innovative products that are going to help them remain a leader uh, in, in the markets that they're going after. So it's great incremental uh, improvement. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons the stock has gone up so much this year is uh, investors are rewarding what they're seeing is moving towards uh, you know, cash flow positive and positive operating income. Um, so, so they're getting rewarded for that. They definitely are. You have to remember that uh, as much as the stock has gone up, this is still a company that on a, mar on, a, on a market cap basis is smaller than SolarEdge and on a revenues basis is much, much smaller still. Um, so there's still tremendous, tremendous room uh, to continue to grow the business. Sure. Yeah, and, and kind of comparing these these two against each other will kind of kind of bring bring things full circle. Um, you know, when you kind of look at, at these two companies, their respective advantages, their respective valuations, those sorts of things. As you sit here today, which one are you most excited about buying? I think you own both of them, right? Oh yeah, I do. I do. Um, it's funny. I, I mentioned Tyler Crow pretty regularly whenever I come on here. Tyler and I uh, are colleagues and 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 friends, and we talk about investing a lot. And um, Going back maybe a year, year and a half or so ago, we were talking about these two companies, and he really encouraged me to buy Solar Edge um, for a lot of reasons. And one of them was the strength of the balance sheet, uh, the, the the better cash flows, um, you know that sort of thing. Um, 
And I said, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to buy both. I, I like them both. Um, I, you know, I kind of agree with what you're saying, but you know, I like Enphase's prospects too. So I just took the amount of money I was going to invest and just split it down the middle and bought both. And since then, Enphase has absolutely crushed it. So I, I rubbed that into uh, to a Tyler, remind him that if I'd have taken his advice, I'd have a lot less money today. Um, every opportunity I get, but but the, the, to be serious, a, a lot of that those gains for Enphase are multiple increases. I think it trades for almost seven times sales and solar edge trades for like 3.8 times sales. So, um, it's, it's, it's a significantly more, uh, uh, premium price to pay for the company right now. It's, you know, maybe you could almost say it's kind of, you're almost paying for perfection. And I think it's, it's fair to say the stock's probably gotten ahead of itself. I'm not selling. Um, I want to be clear about that because I think even if somebody bought Enphase at today's price, if you fast forward a decade, you're, you're probably going to make money and you're probably going to uh, have a good shot at outperforming the market just because of the raw opportunity for the sector. But if, if, I'm, if I'm spending money today, um, Solar Edge, Solar Edge hands down is the one that I would buy. Um, not only is it a little bit cheaper, but I think you also protect the downside more because its balance sheet is cleaner. Uh, it took on a little bit of debt when it made one of the acquisitions, like $22 million of debt that came from that acquisition. It had zero debt before then, and it's going to pay this debt off. Um, again, it has a, uh, I mean, it's, it's, its management is littered with uh, uh, other founders of the co co-founders of the company and people that are veterans that have been there for a long time. And I also think it has more optionality than Enphase because of the acquisitions um, that expand beyond just the energy storage. You know, it has it has it touches on multiple uh, potential growth industries that I think just put it in better position uh, to let to use that balance sheet strength to really put its 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 capital towards where the best growth is going to be. So again, Solar Edge uh, with a bullet. Yeah, yeah, totally agree, Jason. I think as we've discussed earlier, this industry has many opportunities for growth, lots of ways to win. But you look at the valuation, and also I think from a market share point of view, Solar Edge is a little bit more entrenched there. Um, yeah, any last thoughts before we before we go? Wish me luck on buying my house. Let's just let's <laughs> just let's just do that. That's uh, yeah, yeah. All right, oh, folks. oh yeah, actually, yeah. Guess what? My new house has included with the uh, with the purchase. Oh, do you get solar? Do you get solar with the new house? Solar Ooh. panels in their own. So I'm pretty excited about that. So I might, maybe, maybe about a year from now, we can do a show on which energy storage system Jason Hall decided to purchase for his new house. Write it down, folks. Boom, Email write it us, down. Tweet at us <laughs> if you want us to do that. All right, folks, if you want to listen to the end, we'll do a little chit chat about college football. Give Jason a hard time about how uh, Georgia performed last Saturday. Uh, but, oh, uh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, as always, uh, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool onward to football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about college football here. Got to give Jason a hard time. Uh, what happened between Georgia and South Carolina on Saturday? Um, I hate myself. Let's just start with that right now. No, seriously, it's, 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 it's one of those so funny. Uh, so, um, actually I almost said Mark Richt instead of Kirby smart just now, uh, Kirby smart, the Georgia head coach, uh, 
in a pregame interview said his team wasn't ready um, and approved, I think, mostly to be the case. And it's one of those things where, you know, if you read what the pundits are saying, they're saying Georgia needs to make these changes in their offense and they need to get the ball to their playmakers. And I mean, those things, there's an element of truth in all of them. But Georgia dominated time of possession. Georgia dominated yards, uh, yards per uh, per touch. I mean, pretty much all the statistics. They also dominated in the wrong side of the turnover battle. When you uh, when you throw three interceptions, is it three or maybe even four? It's so many I can't even remember now. And one of them is a pick six, um, and then you let a field goal get blocked. And then you miss a very makeable field goal, uh, and the miss it was missed by you know I think it's arguably the best kicker in in college football Hot right run. now. Yeah, he's he's an incredible kicker. He's going to be playing on Sundays next year. Um, I mean that's how you lose a game. You know you you dominate it in every facet, and then you keep giving the ball back to the other team. That's that's how you lose. I mean think about it this way: double overtime game, um, and Georgia lost. Um, with four turnovers and two turnover on down on missed field goals. So, you know, if you're, if you're playing Alabama or Clemson or Florida or Auburn, I mean, just really Ohio state, any, anybody besides South Carolina, you, you know, you, they beat you 40 to 10, right? Not yeah. by seven points in, in, uh, in double overtime. So, I mean, that's the short version and, you know, e- either, either Georgia wins out going here or we just we saw the real character of the team and and the playmakers don't don't do it and and turnovers uh, continue to plague the team. So we'll we'll see what happens. You know, I'll, yeah, I'll be optimistic Saturday morning, but right now I'm still I'm still still angry. Yeah, I, I hear you. As an Alabama fan, pretty much every game you know the team has lost going back four or five years, missed field goals, turnovers. That, that that's how you lose to uh, lesser opponents. But we talk about yeah. another sports story that touches folks uh, in this office, I guess. Uh, the World Series, right? The Nationals going to the World Series for the first time ever. Austin Morgan, huge Nats fan. How are we feeling? Uh, what are you thinking about uh, the prospects for the team? Go Braves! Great. Go Braves! <laughs> the Braves were embarrassed. Yes, they were. The Nationals were. did the embarrassing. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I'm feeling pretty good. The starting pitching has been unreal. They've been coming through with two out RBIs all playoffs. It's been huge. So, I mean... I'm feeling pretty good. Yankees, Astros, whoever. Yeah. You think uh who do you think who do you think uh they end up playing, Astros or Yankees? I think if it goes seven games, it'll be the Astros because I don't think anybody can beat Cole for the Astros. Yeah. He's too good. Yeah. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I, I think um I I don't want to talk about the Nationals right now. It just hurts too much. So let's talk about the I'll build up my courage and talk about the American League. I think if you look at if you look at the the Astros, I mean they're so deep, right? They've got th- three aces, and if 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 um, if, if they can uh, get keep, uh, if if they can Grinky, get, if, uh, Grinky's Grinky, not an ace right now. Well, he's not pitching like an ace, right? And that's what I was. That was the caveat I was going to give. If they can get Grinky going, yeah, but the I mean, Astros have yeah, but four aces a, technically. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on now, you got you got two uh, two and a half aces. And an old guy that pitched really good a couple of games. So, so there's the thing. Fun I, think fa- if, I got a, I got a fun fact you, for you. If you if you're going to talk pitchers, about, go ahead, go ahead. Last two pitchers in MLB postseason to throw, or the only two to throw back to back six innings of no hit baseball: Annabelle Sanchez 
and Max Scherzer in 2013 with the Tigers. They did it yeah. again. Oh, I know, I know. But, but here's the thing: Sanchez, Sanchez is is he doesn't have the stuff he had six years ago. I mean, I think we got to be realistic about that. So if you want to talk he about how to pitch without it, yeah. But can you continue to do that, right? So I think that's so that's yes. So I think says the very exuberant Nationals fan. He says it's okay yes. to believe. So I believed with the Capitals, <laughs> and look what happened. If 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 so, here's the thing: I agree with you completely. If if the Nationals continue to get seven or eight innings of two-hit ball every night, it's going to be tough to beat them because the lineup is deep enough, the defense is good, and you don't have to worry about the holes in middle relief, right? But I think if you just normalize to – if any of these teams – if the teams play remotely to their capabilities, then the Astros are going to win, right? They're going to, they're going to, they're, they're going to get past the Yankees. They're just – they're so deep. Uh, and, and I think they're going to beat Washington because at some point – you're not going to get seven or eight innings of two hit ball, and that bullpen's going to you're going to get exposed, right? So I think that's the risk. You know, I guess I'd I'd like to see the Nationals win it because you're my producer. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I just Astros in six. There, I said it. Oof. What do you got? I Austin? disagree. I, I'll go. I'll go Nats in six just because just because my hometown uh, hometown guy. But uh, I could absolutely see. seeing it. Go seven, but I hope the Astros Yankees go seven. So the Astros have to use Cole game seven, which means he will not be ready for games one, two, and three for Nationals. Yeah, All yeah. right, no, listeners. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> hope you hope you enjoyed our bickering back and forth. If you want to follow the World Series pitch by pitch, you can probably follow Austin Morgan on Twitter, and he will yes. be giving you uh, the hottest takes as they happen. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>